I invite you to turn with me to the Heidelberg Catechism, page 553 in the Book of Praise, 553, where the focus will be on the meaning of the third commandment, and we're going to look at Lord's Days 36 and 37, both of which deal with this commandment. And by way of reminder, the third commandment reads as follows, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Lord's Day 36, what is required in the third commandment? We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence so that we may rightly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in all our words and works. Is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can. Certainly, for no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of His name. That is why He commanded it to be punished with death. But may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner, yes, when the government demands it of its subjects, or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. For such oath-taking is based on God's Word and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and the New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No, a lawful oath is calling upon God, who alone knows the heart, to bear witness to the truth, and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. So far, our Heidelberg Catechism, in response to the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing <clears throat> hymn 46, the stanzas 1 through 4, hymn 46, 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we move along in our look at the Ten Commandments, we can see that the first four of those commandments focus on God, and the last six focus on our neighbor. These break down into those two well-known parts of the law which the Lord Jesus Christ Himself summarized. You recall how He summarized it as loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. That's the first part. And the other part, loving your neighbor as yourself. We've already seen something of this in the first two commandments that we looked at in previous weeks. The first commandment instructs about whom we are to worship, and the second commandment instructs us on how we are to worship this one true God. And if we just were to peek ahead to the fourth commandment about the Sabbath day, that is all about time. 
and the time that God asks of us to worship Him, how we are to structure our time as we go about worshiping God. And now today, we deal with that in-between third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And what is it all about, if you had to summarize it in a nutshell? Well, it comes down to this. It's all about our attitude in worship. So, whom we are to worship, how we are to worship, now it's our attitude in our worship. You could ask it this way, is our heart in our worship, or are we just going through the motions? And this question, this issue, is not limited to the worship we're offering right now here on Sunday or any of the Sunday services, though it certainly includes that. You might recall how we saw last time in connection with the second commandment that another name for worship is the word service. And service is something that we offer to God every moment of every day. Recall that we are all created to serve our Creator. We're here for His glory. So what God wants from us is genuine, heartfelt service that honors Him in everything we do, just as Jesus honored His Father in everything He did. We hope to flesh that out as I proclaim to you this word of the Lord under this theme, follow Jesus in glorifying God's name in all you do. Follow Jesus in glorifying God's name in all you do. Do that in every word you say and do it with every move you make. Now, that word vain in the third commandment, it's not one we use all that regularly and might be a little confusing or hard to get a handle on. Another Bible translation translates it this way, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That helps us understand its sense. Quite literally, you could translate this way, you shall not, not, you shall not lift up the name of Yahweh, the Lord your God, in emptiness. That's what that word vain is trying to translate, in emptiness or futility or falseness. It's got the sense of fakeness wrapped up in that idea. When you take up God's name on your lips, whether it's in song or in prayer or in conversation, you must do so with the utmost respect and reverence. So, again, the third commandment is about attitude. You could say the attitude of gratitude, an awareness of who God is, of all that God has done for you and me, and then the appropriate way to respond to Him. And it might help to recall that each of the Ten Commandments covers a whole area or spectrum of life. And the wording of each commandment gives a particular example that's meant to represent that whole area. So when the Seventh Commandment, for example, uh, forbids us to commit adultery, then it's not just limited to that one particular act. It's covering the whole area of sexuality, and God is saying, I want you to live a sexually pure life. That's how you honor me. 
When the fifth commandment mentions honoring father and mother, then that's God teaching us about the whole area of authority. We are to honor all authority figures. And here in the third commandment, when God forbids the lifting up of His name in a fake or empty way, then He's covering the area of our mindset, of our posture toward God, not just in formal worship settings, that too, but in all areas of life. What is our mindset? You see, the same God who calls us to do what we're doing right now, gather and worship on the Lord's day, the same God who calls us to worship in our families and personally at home is the same God who calls us to go to work. Remember, we saw that in Genesis a few months and weeks ago. He calls us, He gives us the calling to go to work, to exercise dominion over this world as His kings and queens, representing Him, bringing Him honor. He's the same God who also calls us to marriage or, in certain cases, to singleness, according to His gifting. He causes us to raise children or, again, in certain situations, to be childless and to serve Him without children, all with a view then to being busy in His kingdom. We are servants of God. More specifically, we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ who bought us with His precious blood. So everything we do, we do for Him. Our reason for existing is to please our Master Jesus. And the amazing thing is, beloved, that when we do that, joy floods into our hearts. This is not a slavish type of service. If we are serving, if we are working, if we are active in all of life with a desire to glorify God, our Savior, then we have purpose, we have meaning, we have a future with this God, and joy can't help but sweep over our hearts because that's why we were created. That's our raison d'etre. So this third commandment, it covers our whole attitude right across the board of life. And the catechism helps us when it divides this up into the things we say and the things we do. That's found there in answer 99, second part, where we confess that we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence so that we may rightly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him, here it comes, in all our words and works. Words and works. It's natural to start with the words because the third commandment specifically mentions what we do with our words, lifting up the name of God. And let's just think about that for a minute. How many words come out of our mouths every day? I googled it and read somewhere that according to one study, on average, people speak around 16,000 words per day. That'd be 112,000 words per week, 480,000 words per month, and 5.8 million words per year. That's a lot of words. Do all your words. Do all my words. Bring praise 
to our Father in heaven. Think about the words we use. I'm sure that as we reflect on that personally, we will all start to realize just how much our words actually take away from God's glory so often. Think about our words. A careless word that puts my neighbor down. If it puts my neighbor down, that takes away from God's glory because he wants to, me to honor my neighbor. A hurtful remark, saying positive things about things that actually go against God's Word, or saying negative things about things that God loves, which are mentioned in His Word positively. Using our lips to praise ourselves, breaking promises made with our lips, promises we made to a friend or a child or a parent, breaking vows, solemn vows that we made publicly in front of the church to God at baptism, at marriage, profession of faith, even keeping silent about God when speaking up would have brought us embarrassment or mockery or some other pleasant thing. All of those, and there are more, are ways that we violate, that we break the third commandment just with our words. The Lord Jesus is the only one who ever perfectly kept the third commandment, also with his words. And he did so even when it cost him dearly. We read an example of that in Matthew 26. You might want to look there again with me, Matthew 26, page 1058 in the Pew Bible. There's really a, a bitter irony here in how the holy oath is used. First, we see that it is greatly misused by the Jewish leaders. There, we're here in a courtroom scene, the Jewish courtroom, and, and witnesses are being called forward to testify against Jesus. So these witnesses, they would have been placed under oath to tell the truth. But look at what's going on, verse 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. The judges were looking for false testimony. God had given the oath in the days of Moses, we read about that in Lord's Day 37, to uphold truth, to, to validate claims, to call God as judge, to ensure that people didn't pervert justice by their lies. But here we've got the very people running the court, throwing justice out the window by twisting the oath into a vehicle for lies. These were church leaders, the leaders of the Jews. They were stomping all over the third commandment. And, and why? Because they wanted to make some kind of false charge stick so that they could turn around with it and murder Jesus. That's sin against the sixth commandment. Everywhere you turn in this gong show of a trial, there are people violating God's good and holy commandments, and justice is totally mashed. Everyone is violating God's commands except Jesus. 
he remains silent, at least at first. All these false charges are being leveled at him, we read, but Jesus gives no reply. And why does he give no reply? Because to speak the truth at that moment may very well have stopped the trial. If Jesus had spoken up and according to the truth and he had denied the charges and defended his innocence, the last shred of credibility would have disappeared from that whole ordeal, that whole trial, and he may very well have had to have been released because of lack of evidence. I mean, how could the Jewish leaders bring Jesus to Pilate if they had zero proof of any wrongdoing and if the, the one accused denied all their lies? So Jesus stayed silent with a purpose so that he might continue his journey to the cross. Now, you and I, of course, are not Jesus, and we could never walk exactly where he walked, and yet the principle remains here. Sometimes obedience to the third commandment, sometimes the way we bring glory to God's name is by keeping our mouths closed. Until the moment is there to further the will of the Lord... And then we need to speak up as Christ did, even if it costs us. The high priest, greatly frustrated by Jesus' silence, he goes right for the jugular and does so by putting Jesus under oath. Verse 63, I adjure you, that is the oath formula, I cause you to be under oath, tell us by the living God if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't stop here and say, well, wait a second, uh, I don't do oaths, oaths are evil. No, no, oaths are okay. Jesus goes along with the oath, and he answers him. This is when he speaks up. You have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. From being silent in the face of false accusations, now Jesus at the crux of the trial, when everything hangs in the balance, He speaks up under oath. He makes the true and good confession that indeed honored His Father. And He says, yes, high priest, what you've said is true. I am the Son of God and the Son of Man. I am the Christ. My Father sent me here to save my people, and soon I will be reigning as king at his right hand. It was a beautiful confession. Eloquent, powerful, true, every syllable, and all of it honored God, but all of it infuriated man, didn't it? And it led directly to the continuance of the trial and directly to Jesus' torture in Pilate's courtroom, and to his death on the cross. The Father in heaven heard the words of Jesus with glad ears, but the high priest in Jerusalem heard his words with a hate-filled heart. Listen to how the high priest responds. He tears his robes, and he says, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? 
You see the, the bitter irony in that? The men repeatedly abusing the third commandment accuse the only one there that's keeping the third commandment of blasphemy with the result that Jesus was condemned to death on a cross. All the men there hated Jesus for His words, but the Father in heaven loved Jesus for His words. And so should we, for those words mean your salvation and mine. Jesus here kept the third commandment. He honored His Father by speaking the truth at the right moment so that He could go to that cross, so that He could give His life why did He give His life? For all our sins, including every careless word we utter against the third commandment. And so that our lives can be transformed to take after His life in bringing the Father glory, not just with our words, yes, that too, but also with every move we make. The Catechism speaks about our works. That's a reference to lifestyle, to our actions, and that's why I say every move we make, to understand how our actions, our lifestyle, affect the glory of God's name. We need to remember that you and me, that, that all of us, everyone who has been baptized into God's name, we actually carry God's name. If you've been baptized, you have the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit on your head. He's claimed you as His own. You belong to Him. We literally have had God's name sealed to us in baptism. We could also think more particularly of how we are owned, how we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ as His possession. We confess that in Lord's Day 1. We all know it well. My only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He owns me. His blood is upon my head. We are even called Christians, followers of the Christ. He's our boss. He's our owner. And that means what Christians do with their words and with their life, with their deeds, it reflects on our master. And that's not really a, a strange concept. It works this way all throughout human society. For example, if you work at, uh, let's say you work at Fortino's, and you treat your customers poorly, well, that makes Fortinos look bad. If you got a Fortinos shirt on and their label and, and all their um, sign on you and so on, they know that you're a Fortinos employee. That makes them look bad. You'll probably get a, 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 they'll probably get a poor review online, and you'll probably get reprimanded if not fired. On the other hand, if you treat customers like royalty and you show them kindness and helpfulness 
and a ready smile, Fortinos will likely get a five-star review on the internet, and you'll soon be employee of the month with your picture there on the wall. How you treat employees or how you treat customers reflects on your boss. Well, it's the same way as Christians, how we conduct ourselves all throughout our life in recreation or in our work or in family life or anywhere else, that's how people who observe that, that's how they're going to come to think of Christ because we're Christians and the people there know it too. That's how Christians work. That's how Christians roll. We reflect Christ either to the good or to the bad. We've got some examples about how lifestyle affects this third commandment. We have some examples in the Old Testament. For example, God warned that if the Israelites sacrificed a child, I mean, that's horrific to think about, but maybe not so far distant from our abortion society. If an Israelite sacrificed his child to Molech, that would profane God's name, Leviticus 18. Of course, that was murder, and that was sin against the sixth commandment, but the very act of such an evil being committed by one of God's people, that, that brought disrepute to the name of God. God says, that reviles my name. That's also a third commandment issue. The Lord said something similar through the prophet Ezekiel when He condemned the women of Israel for selling magic bands and charms. They would sell these things as spiritual protection. It was a form of sorcery, of occult. And that kind of sorcery, of course, is not only useless, but it profane God's name, says the Lord. Similarly, committing sexual sin or holding back proper sacrifices are said in various prophets all to dishonor God's name. You dishonor me when you live this way. So, Brothers and sisters, we have to think of our whole life. The whole kit and caboodle. Are we honoring God by how we live our life? Or do we dishonor God by our actions or maybe neglect of action? Does our lifestyle lead our neighbors to think well of the Creator, to think well of the Savior Jesus, or not? Of course, not every single thing we do as Christians is going to be appreciated by non-Christians. Think of how Jesus Himself was resisted and spoken ill of and outright hated because of the things He said. We read an example in Matthew 26. But it's equally true and quite natural for us as sinful people to invite criticism to incur hard feelings precisely by our bad behavior, precisely by our unchristian conduct. And that's what we have to be concerned about. Are we, for example, mouthy? Are we obnoxious toward or in front of our neighbors? Do we take the people around us for granted? Are we quick to use people for our purposes, but rarely offer to help others 
how are we known at work in the workplace? Are we known to be employees who are looking to offload the lousy jobs that nobody likes to do? Or do we understand, yes, there's lousy jobs in this work environment, but I will do my fair share of them and more? How are you known in the workplace? Do people experience you as a self-centered person or as somebody who actually cares about the person beside them, who takes time to inquire, who's a friend, a listening ear, in your family, among your friends and co-workers, are you the kind who regularly offers to help out, or are you looking for ways to let others do the chores? In short, brothers and sisters, are you and I, are we acting like Jesus, serving God by serving our neighbor in a sacrificial way? That's what Jesus was on about, wasn't he? His whole life. He came here to serve us. And He brought glory to His Father all the time. And that's how we may glorify God in our actions. We have an example of Jesus doing that in Matthew 9, which we read. In His exercise of kindness toward that paralyzed fellow. Jesus sees the faith. You might want to turn there for a moment to Matthew 9. Page 1034. So Jesus sees the faith of this man and his friends, and, and the first thing he says to this fellow is, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. It was a beautiful thing to say, isn't it? The man, no doubt, had come for healing, but what Jesus was announced was salvation, something a whole lot more. The man, no doubt, wanted to walk again, and healing was certainly important and desirable, but more than having our body made whole, we need our souls made whole by forgiveness of all our sins. And Jesus goes to the root of that man's needs. And he gives him that basic need right off the hop. No other man has the authority to forgive sins, but Jesus has that authority, and he exercises it for his neighbor's good and God's glory. My son, your sins are forgiven. Those are the words to live by. We'll get to your legs next, but this is the most important thing. But not everybody sees it that way. In that scene, some of the scribes think Jesus went way overboard with His words. In fact, they judge Him as sinning precisely against the third commandment. They say, this man is blaspheming. How is He blaspheming? Well, He's bringing dishonor to God's name by claiming for Himself to do what only God can do, namely forgive sins. This man, in other words, is putting himself in the place of God, say the, the Pharisees. How dare he? How horrifically disobedient, how wicked this Jesus of Nazareth is for blaspheming God's name, they say. But Jesus is not disobedient. And Jesus is not making any false claims here. 
And the only blasphemy to be found is in the heart of those scribes. For look at how Jesus responds to them and proves His authority to do what He did. Verse 4, why do you entertain evil thoughts? It's not a neutral thing they did there. You have evil thoughts in your hearts. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he turned to the paralytic and said, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up, and he went home. Jesus proved by his action that his words, his earlier words, were 100% true. He proved that he is God. He proved that he does have the authority to forgive sins. He is God in human flesh. And in the space of a few minutes, he made a lame man whole and healthy from the inside out. Sins forgiven, body cured, and body healed. Isn't that amazing? And how did the crowd respond? Matthew tells us, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. Better to translate that as they marveled. They were filled with awe. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Jesus' deeds of love and grace, it brought a profound, humble joy to God's people. And all glory, where did it go? Well, it went to God, didn't it? That's the way to go for you and me and all God's people. A lifestyle that is constantly on the lookout for our neighbor's good in little ways and big, always in the style of Jesus and then words, too, alongside of it, which not only do others good, but direct all the credit and the honor to our Father in heaven. As people washed in the blood of Jesus and baptized with the Spirit of Jesus, you can do this. Your sins against the third commandment are paid for by this Jesus. So you can begin to obey the third commandment. Or maybe better said, look to Jesus and He will do it in you. More and more shaping every word you say and every move you make to the glory of our God. Amen.